What a wonderful opportunity to, uh, to have our students uh, here in front of us today and to, uh, to be able to celebrate with families in such a milestone in their spiritual life and their journey of faith. Um, we are certainly grateful that we have this opportunity. This morning, uh, this week, as I was thinking about um, this service and, and confirmation being part of it, I was drawn to a to uh, uh, some words from the Old Testament uh, that are familiar words and to many of us uh, from the pen of um, uh, the, the writer of Deuteronomy. But I want to uh, precede that with some, uh, by sharing with you about a national study uh, that has been going on. It's a, a study of youth and religion. It's actually a research uh, project directed by Christian Smith, who's a professor in the Department of Sociology at the University of Notre Dame, and Lisa Pierce, who is assistant professor of sociology, University of uh, North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And it's a project that began back in August of 2001 and is currently funded through the end of this current uh, year, 2015. The project is designed to enhance our understanding of the religious lives of American youth from adolescence into young adulthood. Now, this study was motivated in part as a way to address several misperceptions uh, about adolescence uh, that have been circulated by popular media. Uh, perhaps one of the most radical of these myths is the idea that once children become teenagers, that parents no longer matter. This seemingly widespread belief claims that eventually children stop listening to their parents and start listening more to peers and perhaps non-family adults such as youth pastors or coaches or employers. So parents are led to believe that by the junior high years, they've done all they can to shape their children's lives. And at that point, the best they can offer is just to, uh, or the best they can hope for is to guide their children into some positive social groups. Now, although widespread, this myth, uh, as the study has uncovered, is, is patently not true. When using nationally representative data, we find that parents are, in fact, one of the most influential factors impacting a whole host of significant behaviors, including church attendance. And even when stacked up against friends and other adults, parents continually show up as being central in determining the shaping of the faith life of young adults. Now this pattern is never more true, as I said, than in the, in the religious life of kids. And the primary impact comes less from what parents are saying and more from what they're doing. Parents who think religion is very important and go to worship frequently are much more likely to produce teens and young adults who are highly religious. And when the study looked at it a slightly different way, they found that having religious parents was almost a necessary condition to growing up kids who were religious as adults. In other words, teens will seldom go beyond the faith development of their parents. The religious experience of the parent essentially sets the cap on how religious the child is going to be even after that child turns into a young adult. And despite popular messages to the contrary, parents are the linchpin in determining the religious path that a teenager will take into adulthood. 
Now, interestingly, when parents are not religious, their role can be substituted by some other adults in the life of the church, and that may be youth leaders or uh, other adults who just kind of come around that, that kids look up to for guidance and encouragement. It might be pastors. But we, uh, you know, when, so when we say in the baptismal covenant that we will be a community of faith that supports and nurtures a child into the faith, there is more to that statement than just nice sounding words. We all play a part in the faith development of our children and our youth and have influence far beyond our own families. But the study also asked teens how many adults that they felt they could turn to if they needed support, uh, if they needed help, how many of those adults were part of a church congregation? And the results of the study showed that as the number of religious supportive adults increased in a young person's life, so did the chances that teens will maintain or even increase their own religious experience as they move into adulthood. And although some of these adults may serve in official roles, uh, such as a youth pastor or clergy, other evidence suggests that most often these supportive adults are part of our extended family and grandparents. Listen, grandparents are the most uh, significant in all the extended family as being influential in the religious life of your grandkids. But there are others who are prominent, uh, adults in the congregation who take time to develop meaningful relationships with uh, kids. And again, the key is that these adults, like the parents, explicit teaching and training to, uh, you know, in, in religion, is, is only part of it, but it's the example of one's life that sets the blueprint, the example for what it means to be a person of faith, which teens can follow as they become young adults. Another way to understand this religious development of teenagers and the move into young adults is to look at the factors in this study that do not matter. And one of the big, big ones is the role of friends. Friends may matter for more immediate behaviors, but in terms of establishing long-term patterns of religious faith, their influence tends to be greatly overestimated. Our youth are most often learning a whole lot less uh, from their friends about what it means to be a Christ follower than they do from parents and from extended family and from other significant adults in their life. The second of these less important factors may even be more surprising. The study showed that merely attending worship services did not have much of an effect on a teenager's religious development during this transition to young adulthood, even if they went frequently, but did not yet internalize values of their faith. Being forced to go to church without internalizing those spiritual values at home can have a negative effect, in fact, on a young person's faith. Not always, but when I talk to parents who are concerned about how religious their children are, I stress that it is much more important that parents themselves attend worship rather than trying to just force your teenager or your children to go. Just seeing parents attend church and living out their faith in the home and at work instills a set of values that influences religious behaviors and beliefs, beliefs as a teen moves into adulthood. So it's the example they see at home. One of the more controversial factors in this study has, uh, 
that, that, that was identified as being less important in shaping a teen's religious life and partic- is participation in a church youth group. Now, now that's, that one's even surprised me. But several different analyses show that going to youth group more often than not does not alter the trajectory of a teen's religious path unless, unless the youth leader is one of those significant adults in the congregation who is regularly providing an example of faith to the kids. And then youth group becomes more important. So you may be asking, so why would participating in a youth group not lead to more religious behaviors in young adults and and teens? Well, I think there are several possible explanations. One, it may be that only the more religious teens in the life of a church attend the youth group, and these teens are more likely already possessed and exhibit other factors that lead to high levels of personal faith, such as they have religious parents, they pray frequently, religion is seen as important in their life. Second of all, um, uh, many teens attend youth group for for reasons other than uh, faith development. Sometimes attending youth group is to spend time with a a girl you like or a boy you like, you know, Uh, maybe to just to be with your friends, and one would hope that youth groups would be a place that would encourage even non-religious teens into a more personal faith, but it doesn't seem to be always the case. And then third, it may be that formal religious organizations really don't have the power to establish long-term and deep faith in teens. Although many people hope and rely on the church to instill in our kids the particular outlook and a set of behaviors, the studies suggest that closer and more informal ties are more effective at fulfilling this function. So what does all this mean for people who are interested in investing and shaping the lives, the religious life of uh, our kids as they move toward adulthood. Well, the bottom line is the, 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 the role, the importance of parents, the role of parents cannot be overestimated. Parents need to understand that it is you that is creating the environment that provides the model that your teens will use as they become adults themselves. It is not enough to simply tell our kids that faith is important. They need to see you lead a faithful life. And first and foremost, that happens in the home. Many of the young adults interviewed in this study said they saw saw religion as something that they would return to, perhaps after they settled down and started their own family. But what this religious picture looks like for them in the future will depend in large part on what they have experienced in your home as teenagers. Clergy and youth leaders simply do not have the same opportunities or the ability to model and create this this framework as as the parents themselves. Another way that parents can help the religious lives of their kids is by teaching them how to use their faith. Another of those prominent religious factors influencing a host of outcomes is developing an internalized set of values. Teens uh, who say religion is very important in their daily life uh, and they will draw upon religious resources when making difficult decisions are much more likely uh, to increase their faith going into adulthood. Uh, And they're less likely to engage in deviant behaviors as teens and young adults. But they've got to internalize that faith. Such an internalized religion can be fostered by parents 
who have serious discussions with your teens about how religion applies to your daily life. Use real examples and situations that are relevant to the age of your kids. And that kind of dialogue, you know, can't be just caught on a, on a catchy phrase on a wristband. It needs to be something that's constantly talked about in the home. When a teenager is facing a tough decision or a tough situation, parents need to see that as an opportunity to explain how your faith can help you through those moments. Uh, It's not something that simply can be picked up from a worship service or a Sunday school class or a youth group meeting. And clearly these conversations are easier said than done. And when parents recognize and appreciate the, the importance of Uh, that we hold in shaping our kids' lives, the more likely we'll be that we will begin to capitalize on our role. So what I'm ultimately saying is that in a culture that has devalued the role of the parent and the importance of families, these two things are so key to the future of the church and to the faith of the next generation. Have you ever thought about why the church focuses so much of our attention on families? You know, it does seem a bit strange since Jesus never married and the church doesn't affirm singlehood more. Instead, churches often provide lots of resources for married couples and families. So what's the reason behind it? Why is the family so central to the church? Well, before I go any further, I would hope that a message like this does not intentionally push singles away because we're speaking about marriage and family. Faith and family are simply very intertwined, that it's almost impossible for us to imagine one without the other. In the pages of God's Word, family is an important uh, part of our life together with God. And that's not to say that singles are any less important. God is a God of individuals, and His Word says that each one of us will stand someday individually before Him, but we must still consider the importance of the nuclear family to God's plan and God's church. Um, and it's a priority. Why? Why? Be- maybe uh, for two reasons. The family is, as I said, is key to the future of the church because it preserves the history of our faith from generation to generation. It is unquestionably the family is the most appropriate place and the best place to grow disciples into the faith. We're all familiar with the Apostle Paul's call to parents in Ephesians when he talked about bringing up children with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. But the responsibility that parents have in passing faith on uh, is not something that began with the Apostle Paul. We have to go all the way back to the very beginning of the Bible where we find God commanding the nation of Israel to share the faith with their children. And these are the words I love from Deuteronomy chapter 6. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. Now, I love that word wholeheartedly. It speaks of constant communication between parents and children. God could have stopped there, but he didn't want to cast any doubt on what he meant by that word wholeheartedly, so he begins to break it down even further, and he said, when you sit in your house, when you walk down the road, when you lie down, when you rise up, in other words, morning, noon, and night, parents are to be teaching their children uh, God's word, teaching our kids about faith. 
Another passage with similar instruction is in Psalm 78. For he issued his laws to Jacob, he gave his instructions to Israel, he commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children, so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they in turn will teach their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Here God's plan and purpose for the family is really unmistakable to pass on his laws from generation to generation, to preserve the story of God's works, God's commandments, and God's love for his people. And one of the biggest mistakes I think parents make is relegating that task, the task of raising godly kids to the church. It's great that we bring our kids to church, to involve them in Christian camps, and all kinds of good activities, but nothing replaces the importance of what happens in the home. This is beautifully illustrated for us in Paul's second letter to Timothy in the New Testament and uh, chapter one. Paul says, I long to see you again for I remember your tears as we parted and I will be filled with joy when we are together again. I remember your genuine faith for you share the faith that first filled your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and I know that same faith continues strong in you. Now the detail here is kind of fascinating, not only because we're given the names of Timothy's mother and grandmother, but we're also, we get a glimpse into his childhood home. Can't you imagine Timothy's mother and grandmother working together to teach him the scriptures as a young boy? Perhaps his mother Eunice is, is baking bread and his grandmother Lois is sitting by telling him stories of Moses crossing the Red Sea and other uh, faith stories. And every few minutes, Eunice breaks in for a new insight or another detail. And they do this day after day after day. And their diligence and their instruction paid off because Timothy grew up to be one of the leaders in the early church, and no doubt his status as a Christian had much to do with the influence of these two godly women who spoke daily into his life. Now, many of us are, have been fortunate enough to have a mother or grandmother like Eunice or Lois, some of us not. But these were two women who faithfully lived out God's command to pass his laws down from generation to generation, what a great model for Christian homes today. You see, if you wanna raise faithful families, and if we wanna grow future leaders, we must start in the home. That's where true discipleship takes place. Parents, do not underestimate the influence that you have over your children. There is never a guarantee that children are gonna do as exactly as we, as we teach, but parents, you have the greatest opportunity for children uh, for Christian discipleship because you are the one who lives day in and day out with those kids. Now you have countless moments to walk alongside them, to share faith with them. Disciple making is serious business and it can't be left to the church uh, or even to chance. A Christian family doesn't just magically appear because we wish it into existence. Parents must be serious about this task of passing on faith to the next generation about living the way God calls you to live in front of your children and in, in others day in and day out. Psychologists have emphasized how important the earliest years in our life are. You know, our personalities, our attitudes, our habits, our values, our principles, our self-esteem, even our IQs are so powerfully shaped by what happens to us in those very first years of life. 
I once read a poem that touched my heart. It's called A Child's Appeal, and the poem was written by Mamie Jean Cole, uses the first person as if a child is speaking to the world, and in essence, the child is saying this. Here I am, world. You have noticed, uh, you have anticipated my arrival, and now I'm here, and I'm ready to find my special place, but I need your help. I need your encouragement. I need your teaching. I need your inspiration. I need your guidance. My destiny is in your hands. And then the poem ends with these powerful words. It says, train me, I beg you, that I may be a blessing to the world. Now, just as we begin training our children physically and mentally when they're very young, so we must begin training spiritually in those early years. There's an old story about a young mother who asked a noted counselor how soon should she begin teaching her child about faith, and the counselor said, how old is your child? And the mother answered, he's two. And the counselor said, hurry home, you're already three years too late. Most of us know how important it is to share our faith with our children. The part we struggle with is where to begin, how to do that. How do we train our children so that they may be a blessing to the world? How do we crown their heads with wisdom and fill their hearts with love, as the scripture says, and set them on a right path? What are the most important things to teach our kids? No matter how quickly times uh, and customs change, certain values we know always endure. You know, certain truths are always relevant. Certain attitudes are appropriate. Certain actions are always right. As Christian parents, we have a responsibility to share those truths and values and faith with our kids. So where do we begin? You know, I, could, I, I won't even begin to try and list all the uh, Christian values and principles that we should teach our kids, but I want to lift up three real quickly this morning. The first is that we must teach our children to be honest. The Apostle Paul put it like this. He said, love does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. We need to teach our kids about integrity and why it is so important. Nothing will ever eliminate the need for honesty. In fact, it is impossible to imagine any decent, desirable society without honesty. Integrity is the quality of being able to be trusted, and it means that we don't lie to one another that we do what we say we're gonna do, that the affection we profess is genuine, that the praise we give is honest praise. Children, teaching children to live that way sometimes uh, is difficult because honesty and integrity often seem to be in short supply today, but we need to teach our children honesty or dishonesty uh, by the way we ourselves live. That's how they learn it. So honest, we must teach our children to be honest. Secondly, we must teach our kids to love. The Apostle Paul, again, called love a way of life that's the best of all. And we need to give our children love and lots of it, and we need to show them how to be loving people. One of the ways we teach our kids how to be loving people is by being patient with them and understanding and respectful toward them in every stage of their life. And they will go through stages and they will get off on tangents, But if we respect our kids and they see us treating other people that we know with respect and dignity and kindness and courtesy, they too will know how to love. And most often they will work through the stages and eventually come back to the values of their Christian faith and the principles and standards that they learned in the home and they will learn the art of love. And the best way to teach children how to be loving people is to model love in our homes. 
In other words, to teach love not only by our words, but also by our actions. And here's the last one. Third, we must teach our children to have faith. Faith is not only what we believe, it's also a way of living. It's a lifestyle. Faith is not a small room that we stick on the back of the house. It is the light that fills all the rooms. In other words, faith is the thread that ties all the other Christian values and beliefs together. It's the cement that gives us strength and endurance to get through the storms of life. It's the strong rock on which we stand. In a word, it is commitment to God, and it is commitment to those things that we believe. So we are to talk to our children about God's promises and the way God has been faithful in our own life and demonstrate that commitment to God by putting God first in our life. Be true to your word, parents. Keep the promises you make. Make promises that you can keep. Teach your children to, be, uh, to do their best and to trust God. And if you want to teach your kids the Christian faith, the best way is to let them see it and experience it in you. Of course, you should teach them, you know, memorize prayers, but remember, it's so much more important that they see and hear you pray. And of course, you can encourage them to attend worship and Sunday school, but remember, it's even more important that they see you going to church and being excited to be there. You see, the Christian faith is always more caught than it is taught. And the old saying is true, what we do speaks more loudly than what we say. Teaching our children to be people of faith can be easy, it can be natural, but it won't happen as long as our actions and our choices and our priorities declare that Sunday worship and Sunday school and youth group and small group come in second to everything else that we cram into our weekend that becomes excuses for not making the things of God a priority. You must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I am giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you get up. Let's pray. God, we hear your words this morning and know that these are challenging words. Not because we don't somehow want to do that, but we find it very difficult to live that out day in and day out. But we know that you've called us as parents and as grandparents and as significant adults in the lives of kids everywhere that, that we are to be examples of faith. And they will learn so much more from what we do than what we say. So help us, Father, to be those positive role models and examples of the values of our faith that you wish to instill in the life of our kids so that not only will this generation know you and understand who you are, but each succeeding generation um, will continue to be people strong in faith. God, we give our lives to you and we give our homes and our families to you. Teach us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.